You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, although this morning we're not going to come even close to tackling all those verses. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We so thank you for giving us Paul's letter to the Romans, for seeing that these wonderful truths were recorded and that they were preserved and circulated to your people. And we thank you, Father, that we have these words. And Father, we pray that this morning as we we look to the word of God, that uh, as we look to the word of the Lord, that uh, you, the Lord of the word, would speak to our hearts. Teach us, O Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we, as I've already said, we turn to a new chapter. We've, we've uh, moved on from chapter four and we move into chapter five. Uh, this morning, uh, at least where verses 1 to 11 are concerned, uh, this morning's message is really going to be part one uh, of a message that I may title Peace, Access, and Joy. Uh, Peace, Access, and Joy. And this morning is going to be a little different than what I normally do this morning rather than beginning to really expound on each one of these verses. Uh, I really want to do a, a topical message, if you will, on one single word this morning, and that's the word peace. Uh, so this morning, really, this morning's message is really a topical study, if you will, on the word peace. And uh, I choose to do that because we read the word peace, and I, I think we all have a basic understanding of what the word peace means, but all of that having been said, I think there's, in many cases, uh, we just don't get this word peace uh, too well. And I don't mean any unkindness in that. I, 
I include myself in the we here as I say that. I think there are reasons we don't get it. Um, one of the reasons is that for the most part, we have really enjoyed peace, a, a peace that many countries and many people in the world know nothing about. And I don't mean to suggest that we enjoy perfect peace. We don't. I mean, we're now going through metal detectors. That Some of us remember where a metal detector, we didn't even go through metal detectors at the airport. You can remember getting on a plane and there was no metal detector to get on a plane. Uh, now there's metal detectors everywhere. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that we are enjoying perfect peace by any means, but if we walk up and down the street and we see a building that's dilapidated, well, it's dilapidated because of neglect. It's not dilapidated because planes have recently flown overhead and dropped bombs on it. Um, many people in, uh, uh, in, in this world are walking up and down streets that are war-torn from conflict. And, and uh, you, you see the pictures, you see the news, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I think that if we had grown up in that kind of environment, peace would mean something significantly greater. It would have a, a greater significance to us than it does uh, now. Um, a second reason that I think we miss on out on this word peace is in our culture, everybody believes they already have peace with God. I mean, I am so convinced of that. Um, Everybody believes they have peace with God. Um, but if you look at verse 10, what's Paul say there in verse 10, Romans 5? He says, for if while we were what? <clears throat> while we were enemies. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There's an argument there, a very important argument that I... Uh, I'll explain when, when the proper time comes, but for right now, uh, we see that prior to coming to faith in Christ Jesus, we could have been wonderfully upstanding citizens of the Ohio Valley. You know, the type that mow their grass and keep it nice, looking good, and uh, carry in the groceries for the elderly lady next door, and, uh, you know, pay our bills on time, yet apart from Christ. Uh, that person is an enemy of God. Um, there are so many people today proclaiming peace, peace when there is no peace. And I think this is one of the reasons we don't get it. I mean, we're breathing that air. And I, I think that it's, it's believed inside the church and outside the church. I talk to so many people that are inside the church that seem to believe that everyone has peace with God. It's almost inconceivable that God could be angry almost about anything unless it be the really, the really bad stuff. Uh, but one thing that really fires God up is unbelief. Um, that really unbelief really irks the Lord in all of its manifestations. So I think for these reasons, I, I think... We should take a moment, at least take a Sunday morning and, and, and talk about this word peace. And I think as we do so, we'll be rewarded greatly. The first thing I want to do this morning is really uh, look at the word peace from a biblical point of view, from a biblical perspective, starting with the Old Testament. The Old Testament word for peace is a word that we've all heard many times. How many have heard the word shalom? 
probably everyone in the room has heard the word shalom. Uh, that's the uh, Old Testament word for peace, if you will. And what does shalom mean? Well, in one sense, it's a friendly greeting. Uh, it's a friendly greeting. You know, I can, I can remember, and some of us still, some of us still smile as I say this. I can remember where peace was written on everything, you know. You remember driving up and down the road and like every rock that was exposed had peace written on it and all the, <laughs> I know, all the bridges had peace. I don't know how some of these guys got up there to do this, but they got up there and risked their life to write peace, you know, kind of like across the bridge here. I, every time I go under that underpass that's on the other side of the river, you have the words Led Zeppelin written on that beam up there. How many have seen that? Who did that? <laughs> That's high. I have often wondered if they were like on the bridge upside down doing it or if they actually walked across that beam. And I don't know how did they did that, but you used to have peace written on everything, everything. Remember? I mean, everywhere you went, it said peace. And uh, that was a form of greeting in our, our country. Peace, peace, you know, peace. And it's not used very often anymore, but the word shalom is... Um, it's a word that can mean, it's a friendly greeting. Uh, it also means, as we would expect, freedom from war or enemies. And re if you remember in our study of the covenants, that was one of the covenant blessings, wasn't it? That God shared with Israel. He told his people, listen, if you will walk in covenant with me, uh, I, I will protect you uh, from enemies. Uh, I'll bring peace. I'll, I'll protect you. Uh, you'll have freedom from uh, from war, if you will. So it was a uh, it was a covenant blessing, uh, freedom from inward turmoil. Shalom also speaks of of this freedom from inward uh, turmoil. Uh, we would call that peace of mind. There's so many songs have been written about peace of mind. Peace of mind is is important to us. You know, uh, I understand about indecision. I don't care if I get behind. People living in competition. All I want is to have my peace of mind. You know, we, we hear that expressed from secular places, places we wouldn't expect to hear that from. And we've all heard those words many, many times. And right now you're wondering, yeah, that sounds familiar. Where'd that come from? I'm just going to leave you to wonder. Um, inward peace. Um, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. I thought about using this as our call to worship this morning. It's a wonderful chapter that speaks of uh, trusting God. Listen to these words. Um, you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In other words, God keeps the one who trusts in him in perfect peace, you see. So uh, here, this freedom from inward turmoil, this peace of mind, if you will, this inner tranquility that people are seeking and going to so many extremes to try to find is actually a gift that God gives to us as we trust him, as we trust him. So we have a friendly greeting. We have freedom from war and enemies. We have freedom from inward turmoil. We also have health and prosperity. Uh, health and prosperity. Um, you know, there's a gospel out there that's very popular and is preached, and it's sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel. And I, I am one who absolutely abhors that. Um, 
it's being imported to other nations and many uh, many uh, people are really being damaged and harmed by that nonsense and people are getting rich over it. Um, all that having been said, I think sometimes there's a risk for those of us who can't stand that to swerve uh, to such opposite extremes where we don't talk about health and prosperity at all. Uh, I, I never want to go there uh, because uh, the word shalom actually uh, carries with it this idea of health and prosperity. In fact, shalom is translated as prosperity in Psalm 73 and verse 3. The word shalom is translated prosperity. Uh, so you have this peace, this idea of uh, friendly greeting, freedom from war, freedom, uh, peace, inward peace, health and prosperity, and also welfare. I didn't know this until a few the days ago, I shared it with Maggie when I, I just when I discovered it. Actually, um, some uh, or Second Samuel eleven seven uh, in this passage, David asks Uriah, um, and you may recall Second Samuel eleven is that um, that passage where um, um, uh, David he has his affair with Bathsheba and. Uh, uh, he impregnates Bathsheba, and uh, now he's trying to cover it up. He calls her husband in from the battle, and he's talking to her husband, Uriah. And he says to Uriah, well, how's Joab? Joab is his commanding officer. How's Joab doing? And he says to, um, uh, yeah, he says to Uriah, how are the people doing? And he says, how is the war going? Now, I never knew this. You know, I discovered this... Uh, uh, really just kind of looking this passage over, the word shalom is actually being translated. When David asks Uriah, how is Joab doing? He uses the word shalom, and literally it could mean of the peace of Joab. He says, of the peace of Joab, of the peace of the people, um, of the peace of the war. That's kind of confusing. You think, okay, literally, if you're reading the, the Hebrew literally, it would say, of the peace of the war. Of the peace of the what? Of the peace of the war. That doesn't make any sense. What, how could war be any way peaceful? Well, it makes sense if you understand that what David is saying is saying, how's everybody faring? What level of peace are they enjoying under the circumstances that they're under? Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We do the same thing all the time when we say, like one of my favorite things to say that I text some of you sometimes when I know you're not doing so well, I'll say, how are you holding up? How are you holding up? In other words, what level of peace are you currently enjoying given the circumstances that you find yourself under? And peace speaks to that, doesn't it? Security. This one is wonderful. This one is wonderful. And I, you recall our opening, um, our call to worship this morning was Psalm, Psalm 91. This psalm is very special to me in the respect that I, I used, and, and I would invite you to turn there, you know, keep your place in Romans, but turn there. I think you should turn there to look at these words for yourself. As we think about security, peace brings security. And Tammy's um, Aunt Betty, at, at her funeral, I shared uh, Psalm 91. And I think probably from now on, every time I read Psalm 91, I will think of her Aunt Betty, who was 
such a beautiful person. Psalm 91, page 497. Just the first four verses. There's there's imagery here that is absolutely beautiful. The Psalm 91 begins with these words, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, we seek shelter last night, but all of us, I assume, slept in under a roof, correct? It's a safe assumption. Uh, I don't think anyone, it was nice. I mean, if you wanted to go camping, you wanted to put a sleeping bag out in the backyard and sleep, hey, that's cool. But even then, you still were under a sleeping bag. We seek shelter, don't we? We need shelter. He who dwells in the shelter, what? Of a a roof that has um, shingles on it? No, the shelter of the Most High. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow. A shadow, shade is a wonderful thing in hot climates, such as the Middle East. He will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. And look at verse four. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings, you will find refuge. If your mind runs to an old episode of the Mutual of Omaha or uh, or if it runs to maybe a National Geographic or it runs to Animal Planets or whatever it is, uh, where you see maybe an eagle with its young underneath its wings. We've all seen pictures like that, haven't we? Um, a large bird um, with its young under its wings. That's the imagery. Um, that's that's the imagery that's going on. Uh, we see the imagery right now with a, a young child being held in the arms of an ant. Um, we see that imagery. The child is sleeping. child feels perfectly safe. Uh, but here the image is of the, the son or the daughter of God uh, being um, held um, and under the, the shelter of Almighty God himself. It's a... It's absolutely beautiful uh, imagery. And I think it's appropriate. Some of you right now have circumstances in your life. Quite frankly, you probably vacillate between feeling okay and feeling like the wheels are starting to come off. Um, These are good verses for you to glean on. Um, I, I would commend Psalm 91 as a whole to you. In Psalm 91 verses 1 to 4, where you see that imagery. Uh, Trusting in God is running into that shelter, running into that place. You see, it's not removing the circumstances. The storm is still raging on, but you're under the wings. You're under the protection. You're in the shade. Uh, You've sought the refuge. You see all the verbiage here about security. Shalom speaks to that. Peace speaks to that. It speaks to that that shelter, that safe place. In the midst of the storm, the storm is still raging, but you're safe. 
you're safe. Which leads to um, the fact that uh, uh, peace, uh, uh, any discussion of peace would be incomplete if I didn't say that Psalm 34 verse 14 calls us to seek it, to search for it. Uh, Psalm 34 verse 14, you don't need to turn there, just listen. The psalmist says, turn away from evil and do good. But then he says, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. This peace that I'm speaking of, this peace that's in God, this peace that's in, that's, that's in Christ is a peace that we're to actively seek. We're not to just wait for it to happen. We're to actively seek it. How do we seek it? We seek it by placing our faith and our trust in God. Because as we do so, we're now under those wings. Think of it this way. The little one who's outside of the wings instinctively knows as the storm begins to do what? To run under. And that's the idea here. Is to run under and to get under there. Again, the storm still rages on. But we're sheltered. The tree is violently being rocked. Back and forth. There you are. Underneath. Peace speaks of a completeness, a wholeness. I think that's interesting, isn't it? That's not something I think that would like come to our minds automatically, I don't think. When you think of peace, how does peace speak to completeness and wholeness? Well, with a little bit of thought, I think we start to understand that when chaos is in our lives, we're in a sense incomplete and we can't be whole. There are people in the world today who are starving. We all know that. And I think what we automatically think when we hear that is, well, there's just no food available. Well, um, yes and no. That's the case in many places. There's no food but a lot of the times, there's, there's, there's a lot of people out there to the tune of millions of people who are hungering because of the lack of peace. There's conflict in the land that they live in. And because there's conflict in the land, in some cases, malicious governments are seizing the humanitarian aid that would be available. They're looting it. They're keeping it from going to where it needs to go. So the resources are available. They just can't get them. They just can't get them. But in other cases, and I find this to be quite interesting as we think about peace, for many people, because they don't enjoy peace, they spend all their time defending themselves. And because they spend all their time defending themselves, they're not able to earn a living. They're not able to raise crops. There's not enough peace for that. They're not able to go work a job. They're not able to care for livestock. They're simply not able... Uh, to do the things that uh, you would have to do in order to prosper. Uh, one of the reasons why the United States has prospered the way it is is because we've, at least in terms of, for the most part, in terms of our own soil, we've enjoyed peace. When we get up in the morning, we don't have to worry about a, a foreign enemy being in our backyard. Uh, if we did, well, then getting to work might not be the highest priority. 
So you can see the relationship quite clearly between peace and security, between peace and and um, uh, prosperity, between peace and and health. But here, what I want us to see is the is the is the relationship between peace and completeness. We we weren't created to live like that. Uh, we weren't created to live in like a wild animal, if you will. We were created to prosper. We were created to be fruitful. And peace is necessary for that to take place. But in terms of wholeness, uh, in terms of wholeness, we each, listen, no matter what we do, our bodies are in a state of decay, aren't they? I mean, we all know that. We all understand that. But where God is taking us, where we are headed in the new heavens and the new earth is a place where our bodies will no longer be in that state. They'll no longer be. Then we'll be whole. So as soon as you start thinking about peace, you know, you can start thinking about a lot of things here. I might say this, that unbelief, while we dwell in unbelief, we're incomplete. Because we weren't created to dwell in unbelief. We weren't created to be autonomous away from Almighty God. We were created to serve Him. We were cre- we, we do what we were designed to do when we live and dwell with God, when we serve God, when, when we walk with Him. So there's a sense where we're incomplete. We were created to worship God. You know, that's why we're here this morning, is to worship God. To not come here. Uh, is an incomplete thing. It's it's a it's an unhealthy thing. It's a it's a it's a sign of spiritual disease to not want to worship in public, and not to want to serve God. So, uh, here we see the completeness that peace brings, that peace affords, uh, the the peace, uh, the the completeness and wholeness, if you will. And the last thing that the Old Testament speaks of, I won't say a whole lot about it, but is just in passing that there's a promise. Uh, that there will be no peace for the wicked. A promise of no peace uh, for the wicked. And keep in mind that when the scriptures use the word wicked, sometimes they're talking about some really, really bad characters. But sometimes, sometimes it's just simply talking about those who are apart from Christ Jesus. There'll be no peace. There'll be no rest. Um, And that's a promise, actually, um, that God makes. Okay, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Um, Well, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, the word, um, you don't need to, I mean, if you're curious, it's the word arene, and it's actually used as a greeting. Some of you will be aware that the New Testament letters, they begin with, often, with the words grace to you and peace, uh, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles uh, use that greeting in almost all of the New Testament letters. Not all of them. There's a couple that do not use it, but most of them, grace and peace. Uh, so it's a greeting. Uh, but there's some overlap here. Um, I have to go back to the Old Testament just for a moment in order to develop the New Testament. The New Testament uh, fulfills, if you will, uh, a lot of the things uh, that is that are prophesied by the uh, by the Old Testament, if you will, uh, there's still things that have yet to be fulfilled, of course. But um, the Old Testament prophets speak of a of a messianic peace, if you will, of um, 
Uh, let me give you an example. I'll flesh it out for you. Here's a really popular example. You don't need to turn there because I'm sure you've heard these words so much. Um, Isaiah 9 would be an example of what I'm talking about, which begins this way, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Uh, some of you will be aware of that. Um, uh, w- what's being said here is that the lands in Zebulun and Naphtali, and in an earlier message, I, you might recall, I developed that, these, these lands that are in the northern uh, part of the uh, Holy Land, if you will, by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they were left to, to dwell in darkness. Now, darkness, of course, is going to be a place of, of evil. It's going to be a place where there's no peace. Um, and uh, the prophet tells us that uh, in the former time, uh, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. How did he make glorious the way of the sea? And Jesus sets his headquarters up there. That's how. Christ comes and he dwells and walks in the land of Naphtali and in the land of Zebulun. Isaiah says in verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You've heard these words before. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Let me jump just ahead a little bit. Whenever we start talking about peace, we're going to end up talking about joy. Uh, That'll be next week. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of uh, Midian. Verse five, for every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here's, this is, this is language of peace. It's the language of wartime ceasing. There's no need for these, uh, for these uh, weaponry anymore. The, uh, these arsenal of weapons are, are, are gone. There's no use for it. Why? Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and you fill in the rest. Prince of what? Prince of peace. So you see the Old Testament prophets are speaking about this peace that's gonna come at a later time. This messianic peace, peace of the Messiah, if you will. Uh, 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 God's kingdom being ushered into this world in space, time, and, and history, if you will. And we find that fulfilled in Christ Jesus, don't we? So as we turn to the pages of the New Testament, you see this whole idea uh, of peace. You know, the, the Greek word arenes really kind of welds all of the stuff we looked at in the Old Testament with the word shalom. It kind of welds it with the new and uh, brings it into the, the New Testament. Uh, Philippians chapter four, I would ask you to turn there. Uh, we read that as, uh, as a New Testament reading earlier. And I, I especially, where, where I would counsel you to have Psalm 91 ready, uh, so, uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, I think will speak very powerfully, especially to those of you who um, really are finding yourselves in a difficult hour. I really wanted to give you something this morning that would help you. 
Philippians 4, especially verse 6 and 7. Page 982 if you're hunting around in the church's Bible. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. That's pretty hard to do, isn't it? Humanly, it's impossible to do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard. Some of your translations will vary a little bit. But the peace of God, which is beyond our understanding, will guard your heart. And your mind in Christ Jesus. See that? And how precious are those words when we find ourselves in uh, difficult times. So we see here peace in this respect, in this sense, of course, peace itself uh, isn't necessarily guarding us per se. It's God who's guarding us. But the fact that God is guarding us brings us peace and we could be sad. It could be sad uh, if you want that this peace actually guards and protects me. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, there's a whole lot more I have here. I don't know if I'll take you through the whole thing, but let me at least take you to really, if we go back to Romans 5, I'll, a couple more comments. and, and uh, Let's look at Romans 5 now. We've studied the word peace, but I still haven't really brought the, 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 the pinnacle of it all home. Um, but Romans 5, 1 and many other places really show us uh, really where the, the pinnacle of this, where the, the, the mountaintop of all of this really rests. Paul says, therefore, since, uh, with those two words, he's recalling what has already taken place, right? What has Paul been talking about? If we go all the way back to Romans 1 and verse 18, the wrath of God's upon us, Okay. Uh, and we have the whole, there's no peace. Uh, but God has done something to bring peace. He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He has gone to the cross. He has died. Christ, in terms of his humanity, dies on the cross for the sins of his people in order to bring in peace. And uh, he has made this peace available. He's made this salvation available uh, by faith. And uh, in beginning in chapter 3, verse 21, through chapter 4, Paul has been saying, listen, this righteousness that's required to get into heaven is yours by faith. Uh, we, we, can, we can now stand in God's presence. We weren't once were enemies, but now we can stand in God's presence because of this, of this salvation that's been brought to us in Christ Jesus. And Paul says in, in, in chapter 5, therefore, since we've been justified, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is being said here, where all of this comes and reaches the, the very mountaintop of this, 
is reconciliation. Reconciliation. But don't think of this reconciliation simply as being able to now stand in God's presence as a, some kind of stranger. Uh, okay, now I can stand. I'll just stand with the crowd here. I can now stand. I, I'm not going to be punished for all of my sins. I'm not going to be punished for all of the things that I've done. This is great. I can stand here. Uh, no, it goes actually further than that. It goes further than that. Uh, Charles Cranfield put it so beautifully. He says this, For God does not confer the status of righteousness upon us without the same time giving himself to us in friendship. You're not just being brought into God's tribunal uh, like a prisoner uh, so that you can be acquitted and then let go. We're being brought into God's tribunal so that God can declare us righteous and name us as his friends. That's peace. That's peace. James has told us so much. I was going to bring it up last week. I thought I'd save it for this week, but you don't need to turn there. Just listen to the verse. We were looking at these verses last week. He says in um, chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled. It said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, you believe God and it'll be crowned to you as righteousness as well. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. If you're trusting in, if you're trusting in Christ Jesus this morning, you are a friend. God considers you his friend. Jesus put it this way when he said, you know, it's to your advantage that I go, telling his disciples, preparing them for his departure. It's to your advantage that I go, you see, because I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare this place for you, you know, because I want all my friends to be where I'm going to be. Why does, the, why does the little birdling crawl underneath the shelter of the wing? Why? It's love there. It's safe there. And we're a bunch of little birdlings. And that's where we belong. It's under that wing. Amen? I think it's a good place to stop. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these wonderful truths that wet our eyes with joy and in many cases, not in a negative way, but almost gasping to believe, is this really true? Can it be this good? Can it be this great? And there it is on the written page for us, Father, for it is this good. It is this great. Father, we, we, we look to you in great joy this morning for the shelter that we have, the joy that we have. Uh, Father, which we will look at next week, the joy uh, that we have because of the access that we have in, in Christ Jesus uh, with you. And Father, having looked at these things, Father, press these things upon our hearts, Lord. Uh, press all of these things upon our hearts. And um, we thank you. And, in, in Jesus' precious name.